Our Father and our God, truly, truly, we say thank you for applying the blood to our hearts. Glory to your name. Thank you for your mercy to us and your grace because we freely admit we deserved none of your favor. If not for your grace, where would we be? But by your amazing grace, you have lavished love upon us in Christ Jesus, making him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So our Father, this morning we thank you that we can be here to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us, paid for our sins, and defeated death. Our Father, it is impossible for our words to express our gratitude to you. But Lord God, we worship you, we praise you, and we love you. And now we ask that your word might press itself into our hearts, that we might be more fervent disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone is here or listening online, I pray, O oh God, who doesn't know you, that today in the hearing of your word, they will come to know you. Because to know you is life eternal. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we put before you a question, is Easter essential? Seems to be the word right now for the last couple of years. The word essential has taken the um, center stage of most people's lives. Perhaps there's no more overused word or misrepresented or at times controversial word than the word essential. Everybody's either been vying to be classified as essential or debating what is essential. So by what standard do we use this word? Have we really thought through the definition of the word essential? Well, in the dictionary, the word essential means this, of utmost importance, indispensable. So think about that. Think about how you use the word essential. Think about the things that are being vied for as essential and think about this word meaning indispensable of utmost importance. So people are using this word essential and I presume understanding it means things to them that are of utmost importance and indispensable. So as we consider the landscape of humanity right now and or if we were to poll people and ask them, what's essential? Well, by their behavior alone, it would appear to me there are two major things that seem to be essential to people right now. One is staying alive, and the other is an immortal planet. Those two things. 
So is Easter essential, with that as a backdrop of what people consider essential, is Easter essential? Well, let's consider the sweeping message of Easter very quickly. What is it? Essentially, it's the Son of God who went and died on a cross and rose again from the grave to grant us, listen, eternal life and ultimately an eternal new earth. The two things that humanity is vying for, that humanity by their behavior considers essential, Jesus has taken care of. This is why all the world should flock to Christ, should gather to this message. He brings the very heart of the longing of humanity, staying alive, eternal life, and an eternal planet. So the question of Easter then is determined by whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. That's the question of Easter. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's the question we want to answer. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the cross of Good Friday was nothing more than an execution by a nation of misguided people. And Christianity is equally benign, empathetic, vying for attention in an overcrowded religious landscape, but of no real value. It's full stop. What is the point of Christianity? Nothing more needs to be investigated. It's just one religion among many other religions. I'm not sure whether it was Billy Graham or who said this, but we'll credit it to him. He said, life without Jesus is like a dull pencil. There's no point. So the claim on Good Friday was that Christ dying makes it possible for a holy God to love a rebellious people. But the cross of Calvary and Good Friday makes no sense unless Jesus actually rose from the grave. So if Jesus did rise from the grave, now think about this, if Jesus rose from the grave, he is the God of the universe. He is the creator of life. He is the giver of the authentic word of God itself. He is Savior and Lord and only solution to the human crisis. Christianity is essentially a religion of resurrection. First Christ and then his disciples. That's the glorious truth for us is that Christ himself has risen from the grave and has promised that those who follow him will also likewise rise from the grave and live forever. So if Jesus did rise from the grave, Easter is the most essential event and the message of the resurrection, the most essential message in all of human history. So I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles because let's talk facts. All right? I know we live in a moment where people like to talk about feelings, where feelings are 
the preferred guide in this moment, but we're going to talk facts. Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 57. I would suggest to you that in this world of revering feelings and expecting people to affirm our feelings, that the more important or significant something is to life, the more we really want the facts. I mean, let's consider uh, uh, mon- no Tuesday. You can't do the banking on Monday. I think they're closed. But let's say Tuesday you go into the bank to draw out your great fortune. And the teller says to you, I feel like you only have $20 in your account. <laughs> so you, to which you will immediately say, well, I affirm you and I, I will leave then with my $20. No, no, you want the facts. What are the facts of my account? If we're going to believe in a risen Savior, we want the facts. Let's talk facts. What is recorded here? And did Jesus really rise from the dead? So Matthew 27, verse 57, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Lord, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If they were asleep, how would they know the disciples stole him? If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Word of God. So I want to share a few insights from this text this morning, make a bit of commentary on the resurrection message that's found here. There are a number of competing ideas concerning this particular story, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great world religions have their ideas on how to continue the story uh, that was widely circulated and continues to this very day of uh, plans to ignore the truth of Jesus' resurrection. In Islam, for instance, it is believed or offered by some that Jesus didn't really die, he just passed out. Others in Islam believe that there was an imposter or a look-alike who went to the cross but wasn't really Jesus. Of course, we know that we're in the midst of Passover. Our, our Jewish friends are celebrating Passover, but Passover simply pictures the real thing. The real thing has happened. So they, they'll have the Passover lamb and they'll eat the Passover lamb. And it's Jesus who said, I am the lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. Uh, I, I'm the one who's given my life for you. Uh, I'm the one who sacrificed my body. Take and eat at communion. He's the one who fulfills the, the very thing that, that Passover pictures. I want you to notice, first of all, in this text that it's first about a burial. The resurrection message is first about a real burial. Jesus really died. You have this, the, the story of of a man named uh, Joseph. It says a rich man of Arimathea who had become a disciple of Jesus. He came to ask for the body. Now, now the Romans were experts at execution by crucifixion. They knew how to make certain that the individual on the cross died. They knew he was dead. His body was handed over 
to Joseph. Joseph, in turn, places the body, uh, prepares the body for burial, knows himself that, that Jesus is dead, places him in his own tomb. What I think is particularly remarkable is that Matthew identifies Joseph as a rich man and a disciple. Do you remember what we learned from Jesus' teaching? How difficult it was for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God? Well, here you have a rich man who has come into the kingdom of God, who has become a disciple. Matthew's proclaiming the good news to everybody, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. All can come to Christ and be his disciple by faith. And so you have Joseph here. It's a, it's a remarkable thing, and he takes him But also we have eyewitnesses, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who are sitting in there watching opposite the tomb. So there's no confusion as to which tomb Jesus was buried in. Some say, oh, they they were looking in the wrong tomb. If they had looked in the right tomb, they would have noticed Jesus was still in the tomb. No, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary knew exactly where Jesus was buried. They were there. They watched. How would you like to be called the other Mary for your whole life? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, could I, could I, could that other Mary be the other Mary? Could I be the, the, the primary Mary for once? Could I? But it's the other Mary. But, you know, here's the other Mary. And, and it says again the other Mary, you know, later on in the text. In, in 28, when they went to the, the tomb, Magdalene and the other Mary. The other Mary was, was a very important Mary. She, her son was one of the disciples, James was the son of Alphaeus. She was the wife of Alphaeus, the mother of, of James and Joses. But she's the other Mary. Anyway, my name's not in the Bible, at least hers is. She's the other Mary in the Bible. And there she is. And, and th- these two Marys, well, everybody else ran away and disappears. These two love Jesus so much They just couldn't bring themselves to staying away from him, even though he was now dead. So it's first about a burial. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was dead. Secondly, the resurrection message is is unanticipated, both unanticipated and opposed. All we find are the two Marys, Everybody else had gone away. You would think the disciples, having heard what Jesus had taught them about rising again, would have camped out at the tomb. We all would have, right? We would have all been at the tomb. We would have spent the weekend there, wouldn't we? We wouldn't have. We wouldn't have. This was an unanticipated thing. There was a whole system that had been set up by the religious elite to prevent Jesus' prophecy from being true. Even disgracing themselves, the religious leaders, by identifying Pilate as Lord... No self-respecting Jewish leader would ever think to utter that word and direct it at a Gentile governor. 
So cold and dark and black were their hearts. Because let's face it, submission to Caesar had become good for religious business. So there was no disciple vigil. There was only a security crisis by Jesus' enemies. A whole propaganda machine to mute the inconvenient truth of a risen Savior was put in full swing. You get the sense as you look at the text that Pilate is dubious about their ability to secure the tomb. After all, if you remember the story about Pilate and Pilate's wife, Pilate's wife had some concerns about what Pilate was doing in terms of crucifying Jesus. She herself had had a dream and felt that Pilate should back off, should not deal with this. And so Pilate had some, here's a Gentile governor having some concerns while the religious elite of Judaism are pushing the execution of Jesus. And so he tells them, you know, I, I think the wording is, is spectacular here as, it, as he phrases it, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. There's, um, this is clearly pregnant with irony as an anticipation as Pilate proposes that their little seal on the stone and their lame guards against the claims of the God of heaven seem puny. That's why we're not really surprised when we read the story that after the Sabbath at the dawn and the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Because thirdly, the message, resurrection message is more than adequately witnessed. I, and, and authenticated. Let's, let's understand this, this whole secure, the story, your story, the story of the chief priest was not very secure. And that stone, <laughs> that stone was not very secure either. In fact, you have um, an earthquake, a violent earthquake, it says, and then the angel rolls the stone away and then sits down on top of the stone. I'm pretty sure he crossed his legs like this. And as the entourage was coming toward the tomb, I have a feeling on his face it was something like, he told you. There's an earthquake his garments are like lightning, uh, uh, lightning white. There's all kinds of eschatological happenings, the end times happenings. The, this is the beginning of the end pictured. Now, the angel didn't really need to roll the stone away. Jesus left before the stone was rolled away. He rolled the stone away so that the eyewitnesses could come and see the empty tomb, that Jesus was gone. It was more than adequately witnessed. You've got the two Marys, you've got the disciples, you have the guards that were placed there, 
And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that more than 500 people at one time witnessed the appearance of Jesus after Easter. You have all kinds of witness accounts. And you have this interesting little situation where it says the guards were so afraid of him, so afraid of the angel, that they shook and became like dead men. So, so you have the man who was dead is now living, and the living are now acting like dead men. Christ is risen from the grave. And all you can say, all that we can say in terms of the resurrection message and trying to somehow define it in human words is to say, wonderful. This is wonderful that he is not here. He has risen just as he said. The empty tomb proves, proves that he wasn't there. But it's now going to be the eyewitness accounts of a risen Savior who they actually get to meet and speak to, who says, the angel says, he's going on to Galilee. There, look and see, you will meet him, you will see him. And so they did. Although he said he would rise, nobody believed him. They all took off. Even in the, in the, with the Mary, the two Marys, they went to look at the tomb, it says in verse 1. They came to anoint his body. They didn't anticipate finding a risen Savior. This glorious word in the New Testament, agarthe, he has been raised by the Lord himself. He has been raised, Agarthe. It says there in the text that, that the, uh, the Marys were both afraid and filled with joy, verse 8. I pondered that for a bit. How can you be afraid and filled with joy? And then I remembered the day of my wedding. <laughs> I've told Lynn this before. I was both afraid and filled with joy. So that's how it happens. And then out of this, a massive movement called Christianity. Here we are this morning. How do you explain this? Any idea that this group would fabricate the story of the resurrection of Jesus that they didn't believe in in the first place. They didn't believe it was even gonna take place. And then to continue the story, knowing full well that it didn't happen and they were dying for it anyway, makes no sense. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes Easter the definition of essential. Now, there are two ongoing responses to this. In the text, it talks about when the guards came back and told the story to the priests, they conjured up this plan, this conspiracy theory. It says, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The one response is to avoid and deny what Jesus has done. It's the God is dead story, the Jesus didn't rise from the grave story. 
kingdoms in conflict with Je the kingdom of Jesus, the countermission of all those who find the story of Jesus an inconvenient truth. These are the people who want to do life themselves. They're sort of the DIY people, do-it-yourself people. They want life on their own terms. The problem with the do-it-yourself life people is that they have an expiry date. And so the Y changes to an E, D-I-E. The do-it-yourself die, perish. Trying to fix themselves. The other response is the response of those, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the DFY people done for you. Jesus has done everything for us. He went to the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. He rose from the grave to vindicate what he had done and, and uh, demonstrate his mastery over death so that those who would follow him as disciples would never have to die. That's the urgent message, the urgent message to be spread, to bring everyone to the school of discipleship through very flawed humanity. I suspect as I was reading, you couldn't help but notice in verse 16 of 28 that it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. It's kind of just, it's like a, a dagger in our heart because there were 12 disciples and now there were 11. And those 11 all cut and ran. They all disappeared. They all ran away. They betrayed Jesus. And it's that group that Jesus entrusts with the good news of eternal salvation, just like he entrusts us. And over the years, we are the beneficiaries of those who've been entrusted with the good news, who've passed the story along, the good news of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us. So what does this mean to you? Since Easter is essential. It means first that Jesus is Lord over life and death and sin and Satan. He alone has all authority. He alone is in charge of your lives. He has defeated sin and Satan and death by dying in our place. He is Lord through his great act of love to an undeserving humanity. But not only is he Lord, Jesus' death and resurrection has qualified you for salvation from the wrath of God. How can God love a rebellious people? Well, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, the penalty of our rebellion, which now qualifies every single person on the face of this earth for the salvation of Jesus Christ. There's no one who can say, well, you, I, I'm too far gone. 
I've lived too bad a life. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I'm too lost. There is no one who isn't qualified for the salvation of Jesus Christ. Christ has made all of us qualified. What does this mean to you? It means that Jesus one day, because he rose from the grave, will judge your eligibility and my eligibility for eternal life with him. And it will be based entirely upon what did you do with the Jesus who rose from the grave 2,000 plus years ago? What did you do with him? You either receive him or you reject him. And it won't be by the good things that you have done. The basis of our judgment will not be on the, uh, based on the good things that we have done because our good things are not good enough, ever. The only one who was good enough is the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sin, that by believing in him we might have eternal life. So, friends, all has been done. The, the celebration of Easter is about it is finished. Jesus Christ has done everything that needs to be done. There is nothing more needs to be done for your salvation. It's already done. So, he has set the table for our salvation. The Son of God has brought the message of salvation from heaven to us. How to be right with God. Jesus has brought that message. He has been raised from the dead. God has approved Jesus Christ. Living God has been justified so that he is able to justify us, to declare us righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. So now as the Apostle Paul writes, the word is near you. All is set for it to be in your mouth and in your heart so that the apostle could write, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not because your belief makes it so, but because it is so whether you believe it or not. And it is for you to believe. The gift of righteousness and salvation belongs to those who believe in Jesus Christ who rose from the grave. Those who benefit from Easter believe that it is essential, that it's indispensable, that someone needed to die for their sins and that Jesus fully or truly is the only Lord God. And those who serve him and follow him as Lord and Master all of their lives. So here's what Easter means. If Jesus rose from death, so will his disciples. Praise the Lord. And the writer Paul the Apostle goes on to say in Romans 10, 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Our Father and our God, Thank you for the facts. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for what you did for us by giving your son as a sacrifice for us. 
Thank you that all the work of salvation is done. It is only for us to believe, to trust by faith that Jesus has died for us in our place, to receive him as Savior and Lord, to serve him all of our lives, to love him with all of our hearts. Oh, Father, I pray for those gathered in this room this morning. There may be some here who this is the first time they've ever heard this message, first time they've ever heard the good news that they could have eternal life, their sins forgiven, a relationship with God. Perhaps online, people have never heard this before. Oh, Lord, I pray that the work of your spirit that draws men and women, young people to yourself would be at work in hearts and lives today. Jesus Christ is alive. He has risen from the dead, just as he said he would, and now lives ever making intercession for us with the Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we conclude our morning together, let me ask just a couple of closing questions. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? And is he your Lord? And, and do you serve him and love him as Lord and Savior of your life? You follow him with all of your heart. If not, will you? Will you today? Today is a day of salvation. The response to will you today is yes, I will. This message of Jesus Christ is for you. And I would encourage you to receive this message, receive the truth of the good news of salvation. As you're making your way out today, we have this little booklet called The Essential Jesus. We'd love to put it in your hands. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ or if today you are saying, I want to be a follower of Christ, grab this little booklet. And when you grab this booklet, head over to a room called our Connections Room. It's right on the east side as you came in. We'll have a couple of our pastors there who'd love to talk to you about your heart. Listen, make sure you're right with Jesus Christ today. This Easter Sunday, Jesus is risen. He's a living Savior. Make certain that he is your Savior today. God bless you all.